This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. My first guest tonight, uh, you may, well, you heard her on the news if you were just listening, talking about bus shelters and art and bus shelter art. I didn't know there was such a thing, but apparently that actually exists. And we may get to that as we chat with her. But before we get to that with Ward 7 Councillor Donna Skelly, by the way, thank you for being on the show tonight. Nice to talk to you. I wanted to bring something else up with you because you brought forward a second motion today. You were very busy at council today, stirring it all up and making things <laughs> difficult for your four other councillors. Um, I thought this motion you were bringing forward initially when I heard about this was kind of to be a little funny or be a little cheeky. And then I see, no, 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 this is actually getting some traction People seem to be at least listening to this. The idea that we should limit the time counselors have to talk about a certain issue. Uh, why did you bring it forward? And were you surprised that it actually got the uh, agreement or the acceptance that it did? Uh, no, I think I, I wasn't surprised. And I, I brought it forward because we spend far too much time at council talking. Um, and I mean talking and talking and talking. Prime example, I've been in a GIC. GIC is a general issues committee, a meeting that we hold prior, a week prior to a council meeting, and we get a lot of our work done in, in this meeting. But we started at 9.30 this morning and just finished. And it, it, it just goes on and on and on. And my motion simply asks councillors to be cognizant of the fact that we have staff who are paid to sit all day long waiting for their uh, opportunity to speak to an issue. And, of course, taxpayers are paying their salary. But we tend to talk an awful lot and for an awful long time. My motion simply says, ask your question or make your statement within five minutes. I'm not saying that the entire dialogue or conversation should be limited to five minutes, but simply the one Time you ask a question, and you can ask 10 questions at five minutes each, but one question, one comment, no more than five minutes. And I couldn't get everyone to agree. Five minutes, as you know, in broadcasting is a long time. You've already lost your audience. So I thought it was really a, a reasonable request, but it generated a tremendous amount of pushback. I do people, I mean, I, I don't get to watch, and I say get to, I, my tongue is sort of planted in my cheek. I don't get to watch every single minute of every single council meeting. However, do people actually ask questions that go on for longer than five minutes? Yes. That, yes. That's very difficult to do, to be honest. That really is. is. Well, it is, and it isn't. It isn't if you're used to talking over and repeating yourself and... If you believe that your point isn't being accepted, you continue to talk thinking that you're convincing more people, when in reality, I think most people have tuned out. Uh, yes, our presenters are, are limited to five minutes. I think as counselors, if you cannot make your comment and make your point and ask your question within five minutes, then you really need to rethink what you're saying. <laughs> Did anybody today in the discussion about this take more than five minutes to ask a question about your motion? Not in this discussion. But, <laughs> That's but too bad, because that would have been lovely it, irony. It was, it, there was another uh, choice, at least, in the course of the day. Uh, counselors, my fellow colleagues, went over the five-minute um, time allotment to make a comment and to try and, and push their point. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous because it is quite costly and it isn't effective. It isn't necessary, but it's an, it's a bad habit. It's really just a bad habit. 
Am I wrong that is there not already in place some limit on whether it's five minutes or something? Is there not in in the rules? Is there not already something that says you're not supposed to do this, but it's just one of those rules that never gets enforced? I'm not sure if it's in our rules, but it was in our um, prior to Christmas, the Christmas break. We had a system where our microphone immediately cut out at five minutes, and, and the, the and you probably saw this on several occasions where the counselor would simply. Um, press the button and start the mic again and continue talking. That happened a lot. Now we have a new system. It's an upgrade. It's an updated system, and it doesn't cut you out at five minutes. So it's it has to be something that is decided by the chair. Uh, the one thing it does do, though, is it it shows and it can show to the public how long you've been talking and how long this particular an issue has gone on. And today, for example, we were talking. We were. Counselors, some of the counselors in support of this were timing other fellow counselors, and they were going on, you know, talking over the course of this meeting for in excess of an hour. That's a lot. You know, you've got 14 or 15 or 16 people trying to make, and that's not staff, making their comments. If we all took an hour, we'd never get out of the building. If you all took an hour, you don't have your own radio show. <laughs> you know, the, I think the p- point that's being missed here and what you've missed in this, honestly, rather than having microphones cut off when the five minutes is up, the person who's hosting or running the meeting, the chair, should be armed with an air horn. That would be far more effective and more dramatic and allow people to realize what just happened. That people would tune in to see. Blah, 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 blah. blah. That I'm willing to watch. I think even go beyond that, Ellen DeGeneres has just come out with a new game show, and I think that the chair should be able to hit the button and you fall into mashed potatoes. Uh, I mean, I think that that would probably... <laughs> the ejector seat. That's exactly. right. Exactly. <laughs> there are many things we could do to get the point across. But five minutes is, is an awfully long time. And we did it did go to a vote, and it did pass by a, a count of eight to seven. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Ward 7 Councillor Donna Skelly about a motion she brought forward today that would limit the number, the amount of time councillors can spend talking, a- asking questions, I guess, because this is not, some people are going to say, I think, that this is going to limit democracy, but uh, from what I understand of how you just explained it, this would not stop people from asking follow-up questions or having a debate or something else. Their, their time to speak at an entire meeting doesn't end, or on a t- an entire topic doesn't end after five minutes. You are absolutely right. What I'm simply asking, or what this motion stated, was that they would be prohibited from going beyond five minutes to ask one single question. It doesn't include the response, and it doesn't include a follow-up question. It doesn't limit the time that a counselor can spend on any subject with any staff member, a fellow colleague, or a presenter. It simply restricts them from uh, going beyond five minutes and asking a question or making a comment. And believe it or not, there was resistance to that proposal. And we do actually exceed five minutes when making a statement and asking a question. But why stop there? Why stop it at the questions? And I'm not being funny. I'm being totally serious that uh, not to say you can't ask follow-up questions, but why not make put the forward the motion to say you can't go on for more than five minutes at a time, period. There's nothing that we need to hear. And I, I honestly, I can think of very few times that someone has gone on for more than five minutes and you say, yeah, that was really necessary. I needed to hear more than five minutes on this particular issue. I agree. But 
the it was it was quite comical because my motion I encouraged feedback let's let's uh, amend it any suggestions but we've got to get these meetings under control they last and you know we've had marathon sessions especially when we have controversial issues and uh, and often when we don't as I said today we were in in a meeting for from 9:30 in the morning until six o'clock and that's an awfully long time to be in one meeting. Um, and part of the reason is we don't, we just go on and on and on, or counselors get up and they didn't hear what the, the question that they want to ask had already been asked, and so they ask it again. And, and it, it's really unnecessary, and it's very costly because we have staff members on hand throughout these meetings to answer questions, and they can't leave in case they are required to respond to a, a request from a counselor. So it's an expensive it's an expensive habit that's going on and on in, in, in our council meetings. Um, I agree with you, but I think this is a baby step. If we can simply get our councillors uh, to, to really rethink how they are asking questions and how they are presenting their argument, perhaps we can take it to the next stage and say, let's be far more efficient. And after five minutes, you go to the bottom of the queue and the next person gets to speak. But that's probably going to take a little time before we can get them to that. Is there any other municipality that you know of that has something like this? Many of them do. So this is not unique then? We're not blazing a trail here? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. But I think we are probably one of the worst in terms of rambling. Uh, We really do have uh, bad habits in terms of going beyond the five minutes. And and even up to five minutes, it doesn't even have to be up to five minutes. At two minutes, that's an awfully long time. A commercial break is an awfully long time. You know, that's four or five products that have been sold, and we're still trying to um, make one comment. Uh, I, I think that I think it's just a little bit more respectful to our taxpayers and to people who are making presentations. They have to wait for us to go through, you know, all of these different arguments that we're presenting. And, and uh, it's, it's really sometimes that I think it's disrespectful to people who've been waiting a long time to make their presentation. Well, especially because, and you mentioned presentations, there are rules that specifically outline that presenters' delegations get five minutes. And it does seem unfair or crazy or whatever else that you could sit in council chambers for hours waiting to make your delegation, make your, make your presentation. You get to have five minutes and then someone else who's on council. Now, you've been elected. I understand that. I'm not disparaging the councillors, but could then give a question that goes on and on and on and on. And frankly, as I said, even a comment that goes on and on and on. Nobody should be doing more than a person who comes in with a delegation. And, and five minutes seems like a very reasonable, lengthy period of time for any of that stuff. It is. It is. It is. It really is. In fact, I mean, I would have loved to have said two minutes or three minutes because that's still a tremendous amount of time. And of course, there are exceptions. If there's an incredibly compelling and urgent matter, I believe that we in the the motion again, it gave the chair uh, and council the opportunity to um, waive the rules for that particular incident. But if we could just be a little bit more respectful of the fact that the five minutes or any time that you're taking in council, we're, we're privileged to have the opportunity to speak to our, our constituents and to residents right across the city. Let's not bore them to death. And, you, and let's, you know, let's, let's make our point and move on. If you had said two minutes, there would be heads that would have exploded in there. 
<laughs> Honestly, the, some people like they they would have just started stammering out of shock. Uh, just before I let you go, you you've mentioned, and I agree with you that this costs money because we have staff that have to sit there, and they're mm-hmm. obligated to be there for whenever their point their their issue comes up. But because they don't know exactly when they're going to be called upon, they can't just drop in and drop out. Do you have any idea what council meetings cost as far as staff just sitting there doing nothing? No, but if we bring in, for example, uh, sometimes we'll have a, a lawyer brought in on, on retainer. We've, we've, that was in the past. We now have in-house lawyers, but they'll sit there and wait all day long, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. Billing the whole time. The Billing the entire time. And just today, we had a presentation from Electra that had to uh, come in. These gentlemen, there might have been eight of, uh, I'd say seven of them that waited all day until the end of the GIC meeting, and the, the meeting ended at uh, 5 o'clock. So they sat from about, they came in about 11, and they sat till 5, waiting to have their opportunity to speak to council. It's a good idea you brought forward today, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk about it tonight. Thank you. Councillor Donna Skelly, uh, you can, I'm sure you'll be able to read about that. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more. I hope this thing passes. It's got to go in front of the council as a whole now, but I hope this thing continues to have some traction. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense not to. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. There are a lot of cases, it seems, going on now of people accusing other people, artists, big-name artists, accusing other big-name artists of pinching their stuff, their intellectual property. Ed Sheeran, you know all about Ed Sheeran. He's a very famous, very successful musician. He is right now in the midst of a legal battle because an artist says that he took their song, Jasmine Ray, and sold it to Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, that it was a pinched song, and now he's being sued for plagiarism. Uh, Same with Lana Del Rey. Radiohead, you know the song Creep by Radiohead. Well, Lana Del Rey has a song now, and she has been accused of stealing creep, or at least pinching a lot of it. Here, we'll give you a little taste of this one. You tell us. You give a listen and see if you hear any similarities here. My modern manifesto I'm doing it for all of us Who never got the chance For info And all my birds of I listen to that and I hear it sounds very similar. Michelle Bala is a Hamilton lawyer specializing in entertainment law. Michelle, thanks for doing this tonight. No problem. Uh, When you listen to those two songs, as someone who has dealt in this world, I don't know if you're a musician, but you're someone who works with musicians. Do you hear inspiration or do you hear something more than that? Oh, (laughs) 
Well, I, yeah, I think I would defer to the musical experts on that. Uh, there's certainly uh, common elements or similarities there. Um, but it would uh, in Canada, I would uh, be deferring to an expert who would break it down for me and let me know whether or not they thought that the similarities were more than just coincidence, um, or whether they were actually they look like instances of copying. Where okay, so where is and I, I understand I don't want you to uh, get yourself in court here for, <laughs> <laughs> but where is that line though? Because we know that artists take inspiration from yeah. other artists, but there has got to be a line somewhere between inspiration and plagiarism. Where does that line get drawn? Uh, the line is uh, there's no bright line test. That's uh, what you're looking for and what most people in the world would really like is a nice bright line legal test that would tell you which side of the line you're on. And unfortunately, the courts have never been very good at drawing bright lines, um, particularly when it comes to copyright. So uh, I can't tell you where the bright line is. I think it's um, you have to every case is judged on its particular merits. Um, and really what it comes down to at the end of the day is, is, is it, is it uh, a coincidence? Is it possible that these people independently created the same uh, piece of work? Or is there a possibility that the second artist uh, was somehow exposed to the work of the first artist's work and unconsciously or consciously uh, copied the work? And unfortunately with music, unconscious copying does, does seem to be quite common. Okay, well, that's, I mean, that's a terrific point because there are millions of songs I'm exu- now that have been written, millions and millions of songs, and yeah. you and I and everyone listening have probably heard tens of thousands of them over the course of our lives. Yeah. And I don't remember every single song I've heard, but probably somehow in some gray matter in my brain, each a, a little bit of every song has been burned in there somehow. So I wake up one morning and I've got a tune rolling around in my head and I'm a musician and I say, hey, that's a great tune I've just created. And I don't intentionally think that that's from someone else, but I sit down and I record it and I sell it. And then someone says, hey, that's my tune. Did I plagiarize their song? Yes. Even yeah, though it was totally unintentional. And totally unintentional, yeah. It, it, conscious copying or unconscious copying are both copying. On the other hand, if, if there is no evidence that the second artist was exposed to the work of the first artist, i.e. the artwork of the first artist was you know, obscure, not, not well-known, was only heard in you know, Europe and never heard in Canada, and that artist had never been to Europe, you have to prove a connection between the second artist and the first artist's work. And sometimes that's very easy to do if a song is extremely popular and is played on all the radio stations all over the world or all over North America, then that's usually easy to draw an inference. But sometimes they have to make a connection. I think it was actually the Beatles. uh, Is it George Harris? I think it is. He was actually accused of... uh, My Sweet Lord. Yeah, my copyright infringement. And... uh, and it turned out, I think, in that case, that it was his daughter who played the music and was very popular, uh, was very big fan of the particular music that he copied. He wasn't aware that he'd ever listened to it, but apparently she played it 100,000 times in her bedroom, uh, and he just picked it up. So that was, I think, the evidence in that case. And that can be what happens, is that the artists are completely unaware. Well, because there are, as I say... Uh, Every day, I don't know how many songs we hear on a day-by-day basis, but there, there is music all the time. You can be standing in an elevator. They have what's called elevator music. You can be standing in an elevator and hear something, and it's not even, you may not even be aware, I guess, that you're listening to it. 
Yep, it's true. It is a constant background to our lives, especially in North America. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Hamilton lawyer Michelle Bala, who works in entertainment law, about the idea of inspiration or plagiarism in music, because a number of big-name stars are facing plagiarism accusations right now. And, Michelle, one of the things that I think really becomes confusing with this is it would be ridiculous to suggest that a musician that a musician could, for example, uh, trademark a C-E-G progression, let's say, in their song. Mm-hmm. But how much do you actually have to copy then in order for it to be plagiarism? What, like Again, I know you said there's no bar, but you can't, I'm thinking, take two or three or four notes. There has to be more to it than that. Yeah, you can't. I don't think that you would be successful on a copyright infringement claim if um, what you what the part that you copied was extremely short or what I would call like a stock progression or a a standard melody that uh, is well known and used by multiple uh, musicians in their works. But so it but the test is not uh, a mere quantification test. The test is also a uh, look at the quality of the work. So if it's a very distinctive progression that is very unique and prominently used in the original work, uh, and it's clear that the artist uh, who created the second work was exposed to that work, um, then there might be an inference drawn that that distinctive uh, melody that was that it looks very similar or is identical was copied either directly or inadvertently. Does this then, if it does get to court, because many of these end up with out-of-court settlements and some of yep. them get um, writing credits eventually or a percentage of the, yep. the royalties, whatever, but if it does go to court, does it then just fall to the ear of the judge or the ear of the jury to listen to the two pieces or the two songs and decide? Yeah, yeah that can depend. It depends on which country you're in. In the United States, you hear these, these cases seem to happen more often, and I suspect that's because they have jury trials much more. Uh, in the United States, there's more of an entitlement to a jury trial, and juries do have a tendency, uh, for whatever reason, to find infringement. Um, they you know, want to find... Uh, for the plaintiff, uh, they just they do that in most IP cases for some reason. Uh, jury trials are not as common; they're not as readily available in Canada, so you don't hear about these things happening as often. And its judges are a little less uh, impressionable and more difficult to convince. I think they're trying to be more objective. So uh, it it all depends on what country you're in and and uh, how the process works. But most cases, in either case, you'd probably be also having experts presenting evidence at the trial. And there'd be experts on both sides, usually. Let me go back to the example, your example that you gave of George Harrison with the scenario where he is playing or he's picking up a song that he may have heard from his daughter or wherever else. He's not sure if we Mm -hmm. were to believe him. And let's say we do. Uh, He didn't know he got this song. He didn't know where the tune came from. So he decides to record it. Is there anywhere, and I don't know how this would exist, is there anywhere to go and find out that the new piece that you have created is actually new? Like, how do you do that? How do you make yeah, sure no, that you're that's not... A, that's a very good question. And I think most artists in the in the real world, what they do is they rely on the producers and the people who come into the studio with them and help them record the music. And uh, and very often that's when, when it's caught because you've got a whole bunch of musicians with a lot of experience in a room and and often they will catch it at that stage. And, and say, have you heard this song? And the, maybe the artist may not remember having heard it. Maybe they heard it when they were seven years old and a kid. But 
Um, uh, but yeah, that's usually when it gets caught. Sometimes it gets through, and um, and everybody's taken by surprise. And then it's you know you, people look at it and listen to the two music pieces like you just played two music pieces and compared them side by side, and they go. Oh yeah, yeah, that's obvious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, because well, there are but, some. But there's no database. I don't know that no, I'm aware of. No, and and I don't know how you would. I mean, maybe now with computers, with something like Shazam, it probably would be something along those lines. But yeah. but there are. You're right. There are some that have come up for plagiarism cases, and I've listened to the two of them, and I'm like, I, I don't hear it. I really don't hear much. And others where you say that's the same song. They didn't even try. Yeah. And. Again, I, here's the part, here's the other thing that really confuses me. I, I mean, I work in journalism, and we have had in the world of journalism n- numerous plagiarism scandals over the years in different places. Generally, though, that is the the cause of that is someone who is under pressure to produce something and doesn't have something, so or you know whatever music. Is that the same thing? When these things happen, do you get the sense that when there is plagiarism in music that this is intentional? Or do you think more often it just is accidental and they may have picked up a tune somewhere and not realize, and oops, I should have done a better job of checking? My, this is just anecdotal, but my sure. impression is, is that it's easier for it to happen accidentally in music, that people just get a tune you know, what do they call those, um, earwigs? Earworms, <laughs> ear, yeah. Earworms, <laughs> and they get stuck in your in your ear, and uh, and then people forget where they heard them. I think it's much more common with music. People don't tend to remember words and text like that. And in journalism, there's a bit of a, there's there's two different issues going on there, because plagiarism is actually different than copyright infringement. Plagiarism is the copying of an idea without giving reference to the source. Uh, copyright infringement is when you actually copy the expression of the work. So you actually take and copy and paste um, virtually the text from one article to another. And that's not usually what happens in plagiarism. You know, the, the writers are usually under the gun, perhaps. They steal ideas from an earlier work, but they try to craft it or rewrite it in their own words. So there may not be copyright infringement, but there's plagiarism. Michelle Bala, a Hamilton lawyer dealing in entertainment issues. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for explaining this. No problem. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. We clearly, in Canada, elsewhere too, but clearly in Canada, we have moved into a very weird place with our leaders and with how they are presenting themselves. To explain, woke up this morning, many of you did, to either see the story, hear the story, watch the story, read the story, whatever it was, of NDP leader Jugmeet Singh becoming engaged yesterday. All right, that's that's good. H- happy for him. I, I, I sincerely am happy for him. I sincerely hope that he and his now fiance are delightfully happy, live a long productive, happy life together. Why would we not wish that on anybody? Good for him. Congratulations to him and to his now fiance. However, in the process of getting engaged, what struck me as odd is that he has this engagement party where he is going to be proposing to her and he invites the media. 
Now, I know he's a leader of a national party, but nonetheless, how have we reached the point in our federal politics when a personal, intimate moment that most people do in some way that will be meaningful to them, that they will cherish for the rest of their life as a moment between him and her, that the two of them had specially together, when did that become a thing that we've decided now has to be a Kardashian-type moment in our federal politics? And and certainly he's not alone. All three of our major party leaders are guilty of this. Heaven knows Justin Trudeau does selfies till he's about to fall over blue in the face. And Andrew Scheer is not immune from this either. He's trying to, the the conservatives have gone young and tried to get a younger, photogenic, more social media-ish kind of guy who's going to come and do all this stuff. But when did it become a thing that we have to have our leaders bringing in the paparazzi for their stuff like this. It seemed to me very odd. It seemed to me very, I don't know what the word is, uncomfortable. This is, is this really Canada? Is this really what we do now that our leaders are going to call in the paparazzi to do engagement? I mean, I suppose what would be the next step? I guarantee you, guarantee you they're going to be invited to come for the wedding. And I am pretty sure that the day that the baby is born, somebody from the media will be invited, if that happens, will be invited to the hospital to get a picture within seconds of the baby being born. This is what we are doing now. I just, it seems to me an oddity. It seems to me an oddity that we've reached a point now where our federal party leaders are in a race, not necessarily to put out platforms or not to actually lead, but to be the most selfied leader, the most liked leader on social media, the most celebrity leader. Let's have just leaders. I don't know. Maybe everyone feels otherwise. Maybe people are thrilled that the media was there. Look, the pictures were lovely, you know, and again, they seem happy and she seems like a lovely person and he seems like a good guy and all the rest of the stuff. I, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not sure that we necessarily want leaders, period, of any party, and it's all of the parties right now, that make their decisions about what they're going to do based on whether the media is available to come and cover it. I'm not talking about political stuff. I'm not talking about policy stuff. That, yes, that, that should be, that should be done. But I guess when you're competing for celebrity status with Justin Trudeau, I suppose that you have no choice. Is that is that where we are now? Is that where we are now? That if you're going to be competing with funny socks and that kind of thing, that you now have to have your personal special moment covered by the media as well? I don't know. Doesn't seem that that was the way it used to be, and maybe that was for better or for worse. But to me, it just seems like it is an odd, rather uncomfortable thing that we're now doing. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Now it is time for... They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to kiss me riding dirty. Trying to kiss me riding dirty. Trying to kiss me riding dirty. It's our buddy Bubba O'Neill with this week's version of the intro music. Sir, how do you like that one? 
It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> not a big fan of that one either. It's, it's okay. You know, you know, I'm not gonna. You'll get a failing mark, but you know, if you want to get 51 percent in your whole life, that's okay. <laughs> one of these days, we're going to be hearing screaming in the background of appreciation when Ben finally hits it right on. You were getting warmer. I, I know. Mean, it's I back know. Back to back but... weeks. You kind of took a step back, though. Well, we were testing something. We were, we were trying something. <laughs> we were doing some experimentation. Uh, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH just got off the air there. Uh, glad to have you join us here. i got a bunch of stuff I want to get to today, so let me work through this first of all. Uh, we heard today that when the Olympics open in South Korea next month, that North and South Korea are going to be marching in together under one flag, which is a, the flag is the Korean Peninsula. That's actually what it is. It's a picture of the Korean Peninsula, and they're apparently all going to be happy and joyous and loving each other. And not everybody from South Korea apparently is thrilled with this. What do you think about this idea? Well, cheers for world peace, I guess. Isn't that what the Olympics are supposed to do? We're supposed to be able to somehow, some way, take a two-week break from the realities of life, the realities of the you know political aspects of the world, and focus on sports. So um, if this is a step that is, you know, in terms of the nations kind of coming together, which... I mean, I don't want to be so pessimistic to say that it's not going to be, but if it's a forward step, I'm kind of for it. That part I agree with. If this is, if this is a sign that uh, Kim Jong-un is deciding that he is willing to be friends with the South Koreans, uh, that's great. I, I have a hard time believing that, all things considered. But here, the reason I ask the question is because I was thinking about the idea of, you know, some South Koreans are now being criticized for not loving the idea. And I'm thinking, wait a second, what if North America was to go together in one Olympics? The Olympics was going to be held in Canada and we are competing hand in hand with the Americans. So we march into our own stadium, not waving the Canadian flag. I don't think people would like that much. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the, that's what I mean. And again, it, it, we're all on on pause here to see how this all the people react, how the teammates react, and in these situations. Because yeah, you're right; it's a very hostile situation. So, again, I'm I'm on pause on this. But when I did read about this, I, I was like, okay, well, I mean, it does seem kind of unconventional from what we're used to hearing and what we're seeing. I mean, again, let, let's 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 keep this realistic here. These are people, a people, um, peoples, if you want to say. Um, where stuff has gone on that we can't even come close no. to relating. I mean, we, we live in North America, right? We have our problems and issues, but this is a totally different dog happening here. Um, that I, I that I, I I can at least I can speak for myself that that I have no idea what's going on. Over I there. think it would be a lot easier for a lot of the South Koreans to do this if this was not happening in their own country. So when they have the chance to march in, because they're I've I've spent a summer in South Korea. They are. A wonderful, it's a wonderful people, and they are very proud of their flag and of their country. And to now not be able to display that flag in an Olympics in their own country, I say, if we had the Olympics here and the maple leaf was not flapping, but we just had a flag with a picture of North America, there would be people, I think, who would not love that. Including me, to be honest. I, 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 would, I want the Canadian flag fly, flying when it's in Canada. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, so, you talk about the Olympics being about world peace, and I agree with you. That is what it's supposed to be, but it's also, whether we like it or not, about patriotism and about winning and about flying our flag. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, again, on on a positive note, let let's see, let's hope this is a positive step and everyone can move forward. Yes, that full peace develops from this, that Kim Jong-un decides to retire to the wilderness of North Korea and live off elderberries and old VHS tapes of old shows and the world goes on nicely. <laughs> well, again, we, 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 I try to stay away from that kind of stuff. I really do, Scott, because like I said, I find it... Um, it's tricky. It's tricky, it's sensitive... And in many ways, uh, uh, the combination of sport and politics, which, you know, we, know, we full know in, in the Olympics especially, that happens all the time. But I really do try to stay away from that kind of stuff. You know, it's, uh, the, the funny part is politics has become more and more and more about the Olympics, whether we like it or not. I mean, that is really, you go back to, pro, it was before, but really Berlin started at the Hitler Olympics. And it has become a political thing ever since then. So you're right. If this can be a sign that we can diminish the political thing a little bit, great, great. I just, it's, it's, it is truly a tricky and an interesting one. All right, let's move along here to another tricky and interesting one. I think most people around here are fans of the Toronto Blue Jays, at least in as much as it's a lot of fun when they're doing well in the summertime and every day you can turn on your TV or your radio and if you're interested you can catch a game and there's a common thing that everyone can cheer for. They signed Curtis Granderson this week. Now, some people will know who Curtis Granderson is. Others will recall. Others won't. But And still more will know this is a guy who basically was saying he was about to retire and it seems the Jays have lured him out of retirement this doesn't strike me as the kind of move that inspires a lot of confidence or faith in Blue Jay fans that this team is actually going to do anything this year. I mean, this is a guy that's going to turn 37 years old in in March, and he's had all kinds of accolades throughout his career, you know, playing with, I mean, the Yankees, and of course, uh, last season, I think he split time with the, with the Nets and the Dodgers, but... I mean, it was more than obvious that he's, you know, got a little power left. I mean, over, you know, 20-something home runs last year, I think 26 home runs last year, and actually played like almost 150 games. So there's a, there's the good. But my my questioning here is it's a low, a low percentage batting average guy that's got some power. It just kind of sounds like Jose Batista all over again. And I would think that you're looking for an upgrade over that now. I will say this: if this, if their plan is to have him as a fourth outfielder at five million dollars, worth the risk. But if they're believing that he becomes, you know, he joins Pilar and I guess Teoscar Hernandez or whoever else is supposed to be in the outfield, then then to me this is this is a, a total downer. <laughs> I guess. No, well, I I agree. I, this is a team. That for the last couple of years, two and a half years, really, has been a centerpiece of Southern Ontario, of Canada, really, of people that they plan their summers. They spend part of their summers geared up for this ever since those big trades that Alex Anthopoulos made in the middle of the 2015 season. This has been a huge deal. And boy, I just feel it just feels, Bubba, like air being sucked out of a balloon this offseason because nothing is happening and the Yankees are gearing up and the Red Sox are gearing up and other teams are gearing up and the Blue Jays are... But we've got to be realistic here, all right? Like, let's be honest. Anthopoulos is gone and he's not coming back. Nope. Right, those moves were made to go for it, 
And really, the end result was a team that is now the oldest in Major League Baseball. Their lineup has peaked, in my opinion, to what that uh, those that you know that there was some tinkering done. Um, but for those two years of the ALC, ALCS runs, the team was relatively similar. But now the team is aging. We saw by the end of last season what this team really is, and. With the youth that the Yankees have, the move that the moves that they and you know, and I gotta give Cashman a whole lot of props here. The Yankees yeah, general manager, the yep. general manager, because that was a team that actually, for a couple of years, said, "Look, we're not going to spend a lot of money," and they actually rebuilt their farm system the proper way, and now they're in a position to spend money, which they are. And they are making a realistic run at going to the World Series after you know being in the ALDS uh, last season. And on top of that, Boston are no are just as similar too. They're always going to spend a lot of money, and they're always going to be near the top of the American League. So maybe this management, and I'm talking about the Blue Jays management, know that there is no possible way. And I agree with this. I don't think this team, as even with a couple of free agent acquisitions can compete with those two top dogs in the American League East. Perhaps. Perhaps. The flip side, though, is when you have the highest attendance in the American League consistently, and there's no reason to think that if they had brought in a few more free agents and to fill some of those gaps and tried to spend some money, that you could not have... You know, you're bringing in big bucks, you're raising ticket prices, you can probably afford now the t- team is apparently for sale which means that they're going to want to not be loaded down with contract you want to make it sellable at least we're told it's for sale i i look at this and i think if you are the biggest drawing team and you get great tv ratings and you have five of your own channels to show this on you should be able to at least be reasonably if not more competitive year after year the yankees even when they're bad are never terrible they never fall all the way to the bottom of the AL East, or at least very, very, very rarely. They at least are competitive, and then a couple of years or a year later, they bounce back up. I don't see any sign that the Blue Jays within the next two, three, four years are bouncing back up unless they do something drastically different. But I mean, but again, that that also comes from that that consistency comes from one, yeah, right, send, spending money with free agents, but it's also through a farm system that is producing players and players that want to play with the franchise. Uh, unfortunately, when Alex Anthopoulos made those moves to to go for it, you know, three years ago, he emptied the farm system. All the players that he did, he built stocking, um, are all gone now. And the ones that are remaining either aren't good enough, or they just, or are they trapped somewhere in the minor leagues? Or some of them are still too young to be a realistic part of Major League Baseball over a full, you know, 162-game season. So, I mean, I know the, the default in these areas is to knock the current management um, of this team right now, but they really are in, a, in between a very, very tough decision here. That At some point, you have to make a decision to say, um, maybe not so much rebuild, but retool. We'll, we'll try to remain comp- uh, competitive, and I think that's kind of where they are right now. They, they can remain c- competitive in the fact that, one, they have arguably one of the better third basemen in the game, uh, at one of the better center fielders in the game, and a relatively young starting pitching staff with hopefully the injection of some youth that are coming up right now. So 
I look at that free agent list right now, Scott, and I, I'm not spending a lot of money on guys that are out there right now. If, if I mean, I mean, if you're looking at a long-term um, thought of having this team be competitive for a string of four to five years. There is um, one other thing that I find very interesting about this, and that is I'm just looking up as you're talking here. I just pulled it up. When we talk about how Alex Anthopoulos cleaned out the farm system of the Blue Jays when he made those trades in 2015, point me to the guy that they gave up as far as a young player from their much ballyhooed farm system. Show me the guy who has turned in to be a star. And that's the interesting part. They gave up a lot of pieces, and everyone says they cleaned out the farm system. Uh, There's not Miguel Castro. Mm, I don't think so. Jesus Tinoco. Jeff Hoffman. Jeff Hoffman has been not bad. Uh, Jose Reyes, nope. Matt Boyd, Jairo Labour, Daniel Norris, nope. Uh, I'll take Norris. Norris is a good pitcher. Yeah, but I'm, he, he's not a star. He's not a guy that you look at and you say, our, our franchise is irrecov- irrevocably damaged because we gave I, up I, Daniel I, Norris. I, Daniel Norris is a starting pitcher on the Blue Jays right now. As a left-hander, he would be a starting pitcher he, he would. on the Blue Jays no, right He now. would. He would not be your number one starter or even probably your number two, but he would be pitching in the rotation. Yeah, no, no, five. 100%. But the point just is, when you talk about how you cleaned out the farm system, nobody has come back to bite him at this point, by being a superstar. But okay, and I, you, I, I understand what you're saying there, Scott. But there is nobody, right? There, there, what you have in Buffalo right now are, are, are currently, or at least in Buffalo, the last couple of years, who have been very, very good teams. The last couple of years. Now, when you have your AAA team as a very good team, what does that generally mean? That generally means a lot of guys in their 30s. Yeah, and that's often. kind of where they're at right now. So if you don't got the youth, you do need a balance of youth along with your veteran players. And I'm going to put a guy like Donaldson in the veteran category right now. So when the cupboard's bare, and I know you're saying there's not a lot that's coming back to haunt you, but at the end of the day, if you're telling me those guys weren't so good anyway, well then what does it say about the drafting of those players in no, the first place? The, the, the guy, fair enough, good point. The guys that have been good draft picks by the Blue Jays, which have been truly good draft picks, are with the Blue Jays right now, by and large. Well, by and large. Wouldn't, I wouldn't you say, um, what's his name, the Mets pitcher? Um, uh, Syndergaard. The Syndergaard. Yeah, no, there's one, there is absolutely, but that was before the big, that was prior to that season, it was two seasons before when they made right. the Marlins trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I think every single Blue Jay fan would happily take not having R.A. Dickey in exchange for you Noah know, Syndergaard and, back. And, and I'll have to extend this as and well And Travis too. Darno in that trade as well, the catcher. Well, and, and to extend the thought too here, I mean... And again, this is not a hammer Alex Anthopoulos situation here because I think he's going to do some good things with with the Braves right now at starting at ground zero because that team is truly at ground zero. But, you mean, he put the team in a a financial situation as well, too. Currently, you have two players in their 30s right now that are, I mean, there's three right now, if you add Donaldson, uh, that are making in excess of $20 million a year. Russell Martin is, 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 is a guy that I think that can still give you 120, 110 good games uh, behind the plate, but currently this team have no true 50-game guy to spell him and keep him away from injuries, and he's making over $20 million a year. 
Also, you have a broken-down shortstop, all-star shortstop, that, again, when playing, effective with his glove and sometimes can give you some power. But in his time here, Troy Tulowitzki is, I'm not going to say disappointment. I think he's a great player. Not a a great player, but a good player, solid player. But he's also been injured a lot, and he costs a lot of money. These are guys that Alex Anthopoulos, again, went all in on to try and go for it at that time. And this current management are kind of... They're, 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 they're tied up a little bit because of these guys, and no one is going to – you can't trade those players. No one's going to take no, them. No, And I, when I hear 30-year-olds making $20 million plus, all I can think of is, man, that is CHCH sportscaster kind of money that uh, <laughs> that no one else in this market can match Yeah, for maybe sure. before I showed up. <laughs> Ken, Ken Welsh is right now living on his private island down in the Turks and Caicos somewhere. And Freddie Anderton. No, they're all, they're all <laughs> living large. Uh, very quickly, because we only have a couple minutes. I meant to get to this earlier, but hey, this was uh, this has been good. Toronto Maple Leafs, I think people have kind of lost track of this a little bit. Toronto Maple Leafs have won five of their past 19 games in regulation time. Five of their past 19 have been won in regulation time. Is the, is the Mike Babcock bloom fading off the rose a little bit here? Today was the first real day I think you saw Mike Babcock snap at the media um, because of exactly what you're talking about. The questions are coming that, you know, are changes in the lineups needed, maybe the promotion of some guys, and he really kind of fought back and basically said, look, I make the decisions here, not the media. I don't bend to whatever pressures are happening here, but you're right. Uh, three straight losses, I think, three yeah, three in a row, several of them by one goal, and a lot of games that they're only scoring one and two goals. Yes, and this yeah, the offense has stopped. It's dried right up. I mean, you remember in the beginning of the season, those first 15, 20 games, they were averaging close to four goals a game. Uh, Nazem Kadri, I believe, has one goal in maybe 15 games. Again, he was another guy that got off to a good start, and actually is coming off a career year last year. Last couple of years, he's done very well offensively. So, without the the antics of Frederick Anderson and goal, who you know was forced to face forty shots again last night, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going. I mean, I, I watched them, you know, every night just like everyone else, and they look like they're okay. But yeah, you're right; they're not getting the results. But I think. The, their saving grace, Scott, is in that they're in the Atlantic Division, and right now, you got Tampa, Boston, and Toronto, and everyone else. I wish we had more time, but you have to get ready for your evening show and earn some of that twenty million dollar plus salary. <laughs> so I will have to let you go because on a per night basis, that means your make your each show you do is like one hundred and fifty grand worth, and you got to give the fans what they're what they want for that yeah. money. Well, when I finally buy my own personal island, I'll be sure to have you over. I would love that. See if you can get the Aga Khan to join us. <laughs> That'll be terrific. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can see him tonight at 11 o'clock, sir. Always appreciate you doing this. Thanks. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.